Like the vast majority of people who served in the military, I am a man. My experience serving in a male-dominated organization was inherently different from that of a woman who served in a male-dominated organization. Women make up between 10 and 20% of the active duty force. Back in the day, they served as nurses. Then, during World War II, they served as WACs and WAVES in administrative support roles. Over the years, women have been granted equal access to more sectors of the services that have traditionally been men only. Women now serve in the infantry and even on submarines. One in four women report a sexual assault while in the service. One in two women report sexual harassment while in the service. And since we know that reporting lags actual incidents, those numbers are probably significantly higher. According to a 2018 survey, almost 40% of women who reported sexual assault or harassment said their commanders retaliated against them. The military justice system is set up so that commanding officers decide whether or not to pursue criminal charges, not like a grand jury in the civilian world. Because of this, many women see their cases swept under the rug. They leave the service traumatized by their experience and often feel betrayed by the organization they swore to serve in. Many of these women were given less than honorable discharges, despite committing no serious misconduct. This excludes them from many of the common veterans' benefits they'd otherwise be entitled to when they get out. Without access to those services, they can suffer serious negative mental health outcomes. Women account for one in three of all suicide attempts among veterans. According to the VA, the rate of suicide among women who reported military sexual trauma was higher than women who did not. Their experiences are different, and we need to listen to them because they're often left out of the conversation. In this episode, I spoke with a woman veteran who spent an entire career in the United States Army. You're listening here, Arizona. Addressing issues, empowering our community. I want to introduce Captain Signa Oliver. She first joined the Army in the 1980s and served in the artillery. Then she got out, worked as a Phoenix police officer, went to law school, and came back as a JAG, an Army lawyer. She prosecuted court-martial cases. After leaving the service in the late 1990s, she went on to work for the Arizona Department of Veterans Services. So, Captain Oliver, just to start, what's it like being a woman in the Army? It, it can be fun. It was fun for me both times. Um, different experience, enlisted versus officer, of course. Um, but I think my enlisted years prepared me to be a better officer. And let me tell you why, because the army is run by um, the enlisted corps, the NCOs and that sort of thing. Officers, you know, we get a lot of, you know, props, but um, basically, you know, we listen to our first sergeants and sergeant majors who tell us, you know, how, how this is run, because usually they've been in there forever. I was always treated um, in the military with dignity and respect both times but it's just different being an officer. But it was, a, it was an amazing experience. I think that it um, helped form who I am today. Um, the discipline, um, the sense of duty, honor, you know, country, you know, was very much instilled both times in me. 
Um, it was very honorable to serve. My mother thought I was insane both times. Um, <laughs> the first time I left um, to go to basic training was Mother's Day, you know, in 1981. And she was, she just cried at the airport. And she's like, I don't understand you. I don't understand why you have to do this. But I'm a third generation um, military person, army um, person. So um, it was easy for me. <laughs> um, it's what my family, part of what my family is made of. So. so the military is sort of a family business for you. Yeah, it's the family business. You know, we're either preachers or we're soldiers. So <laughs> it's one or the other. And I, I've done both. So. so you have a somewhat deeper perspective on the military since you grew up in a military family and served as both an enlisted person and an officer. Given that perspective, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that women face in the service? Well, I'll start with the most trivial, <laughs> um, the weight thing, especially for women of color. You know, the weight thing was such, so harsh. And I think that they have modified some of the um, restrictions. I mean, it seems small, but when you're an officer in the United States Army, you know, even though they have, um, you have the ability to be taped, your career is over if you get taped. That means you're not perfect. And so an army officer must be perfect. So every six months before the weigh-in, I had to drop like 20 pounds in two weeks. And my, my law clerks were like, ma'am, you're gonna kill yourself, you know? But I did it every time so that I didn't have to get taped. And it was really, it was really, it was a lot of stress. Like seriously, every six months and people were happy, even people on the outside that were my friends, they were happy when I got out just for that reason. So that I didn't kill myself every six months to get to that perfect weight that wasn't natural for somebody like me. For the non-military folks listening, a few times a year, you have to pass a height and weight check. If your weight is over the maximum, then you have to get taped. That means they measure your neck, your waist, your hips, and then they calculate your body fat percentage based off those numbers. You can still pass if you're under the body fat maximum, but in the military culture, being above the maximum weight and getting taped is really viewed as a failure, even if it's not technically a failure on your record. And even my colonel, um, I had a female um, lieutenant colonel. Um, she was second in command at Fort Benning at the JAG Corps. And she said, you look perfect in your uniform. I said, yes, but your weight scale doesn't comport to me because I'm very muscular and I'm very, you know, but, you know, I have to drop 15, 20 pounds every six months. So that was the trivia, you know, it, it was a big deal for me, but it was, um, it may seem trivial to other people, but I mean, and as, as an, officer, an army officer, I couldn't get taped. You know, and then I'm at the home of the infantry, so, you know. Yeah, that's right. Fort Benning is the home of the infantry. Probably a lot of guys on that base and not a lot of women, especially before 9-11. Especially being stationed at the home of the infantry. <laughs> you know, you can imagine, you know, certain remarks. It was never disrespectful, you know, because I remember I had a soldier ask me my name in front of a sergeant major. You know, ma'am, what's your first name? And he said, Captain. <laughs> And I was like, whatever he said, because sergeant majors are scary people and they scare us. But, um, you know, it was very, um, I felt a sense of being, and I am a competitive person anyway. So, but I felt that I had to be perfect and I couldn't be weak. And even when I was 
enlisted, I had the same drive and it, it probably has more to do with me than the military. Um, I don't think the military was, well, when I was an officer, they were, but enlisted, they weren't placing those, you know, um, things on me. I did it to myself because I never ran, you know, because I considered myself this great physical specimen. I never would run with the women because the women enlisted would run separate than the men. The women were too slow for me. So I'd run with the men and then I passed out then as well. So a lot of passing out. Hey. <laughs> and woke up and woke up in the ER. So, you know, and with my drill sergeant over me telling me not to run with the men anymore. And of course, the next run, I ran with the men because I can't run with the women. So obviously you were an officer and not just an officer, but a prosecutor. Do you think that played into how you were treated and how you interacted with the men? I don't think that I experienced some things that other females experienced first because I was an officer, but second, I'm a JAG officer. So things that are gonna happen to other females in the military probably are not gonna happen to me because I can I can prefer charges on your behind and send you to Leavenworth. <laughs> so, you know, I could tell that, you know, people treated us as JAG officers different because I had a roommate while I was um, at Fort Benning and she was um, a company commander. And um, she had to, you know, toe a different line, but she was a West Point grad and stuff. So we were equally driven. Um, but I think that some of the things that women experience in the military um, that I know of, I, I absolutely knew it didn't happen to me, but I knew it was happening was, you know, um, of course, things that were um, sexual, those were occurring, you know, and we knew they were occurring and, you know, we prosecuted them when we found them. So you could kind of be the advocate that the women needed, especially back in the 90s. You had your own power in a way. I garnered a reputa reputation for being a tough prosecutor. So, you know, many women felt comfortable coming to me and telling me things that were going on. And then, you know, my office, I call, you know, the first sergeant or the company commander and say, hey, this is happening. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> or do you need me to come over and do something about it? Um, and they're like, okay, it's the crazy lady that's going to make something really bad happen. Um, I actually did have a few good men moment while I was there. Um, yeah, um, a brigade commander, um, had a Confederate flag in his office behind his desk. So any soldier walking in his office, you see a Confederate flag at the home of the infantry in Georgia. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I have no idea how long it had been there, but um, my Lieutenant Colonel, the female, she goes, go get him, Tiger. <laughs> I was like, wait, you're a Lieutenant Colonel, you outrank me. I mean, you're closer to his rank than me. And she goes, no, Captain, this is all you. Cause you know, I was, I had responsibility over that brigade. And so I walk in and swear, oh God, I had to have that conversation with him. And it was, it was a Jack Nicholson moment. I was thinking he could have me killed and they would never find my body. <laughs> because we're at the home of the infantry and he has a lot of very expensive toys and there's a lot of space 
at Fort Benning where people could go missing. Um, and it was so funny when I, I was talking to him and I said, you know, sir, I'm gonna need that flag off your wall, never to return again um, for obvious reasons. Don't know why you would think that was a good thing to do, but it's gonna disappear like now. And um, I can't hear that it goes back up. Are we clear? And he, and there was this like long pause and I'm, think, I'm thinking, he's gonna kill me. He's gonna have me killed and my body buried somewhere in the woods. And finally he did say, he goes, okay, captain, and enunciated captain a lot. <laughs> and I'm, I'm concentrating on not shaking <laughs> um, because I have a full bird kernel that I, I think could, you know, end my life and, you know, my children would never see me again. You know, all these thoughts are going through your head. And he, um, he did comply and I didn't have to go back, which was, which made me very happy. You know, and I, I don't think, you know, I wet myself or anything. I got to my car without being, you know, murdered. You know, I remember during my time in, anytime women showed any sort of emotion, they really got ridiculed way more than when the men did it. You know, I was guilty of it myself. If a woman cried, we made fun of her. And they really had to exceed every standard to be accepted when, you know, a guy like me could just get away with being perfectly average. Yeah, every every standard. So I, I have another story. I tell a lot of stories. I'm old. So here we go. Oh, it's um, so I, I, I go to the range um, to qualify, as we do every six months. And I was a former police officer by then. You know, and I'd been enlisted before and I shot experts so I can shoot very well. Um, and there, for some reason, there's this group of sergeant majors and first sergeants at the range. I have no idea. I was like, oh, whose luck is this? I must have buzzer luck, you know, <laughs> to be walking up to, you know, qualify in front of these. And, you know, they think that when they saw me walk up, they're thinking, oh, we're going to get a great laugh. And even the range master, you know, he comes and he hands me uh, my weapon and he's all being all delicate. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, stop being that person. Um, and so he's like, so ma'am, have you fired a gun before? And I said, a few times, <laughs> you know, cause yeah, I'm not wearing my your resume, you know, you don't know that I'm a former cop. You don't know I'm former enlisted soldier that fires expert. And so um, he's like, well, let me see you hold it. And so now I'm going to play along because I'm twisted. And I, you know, kind of hold it all delicately and that sort of thing. And now the crowd is gathered behind me. I can sense they're all watching. And I'm like, you can't miss. You cannot miss one. And it was a, a pop-up target, not the shooting the paper, but pop-up target, a different flair. And so he tells me, you know, really, you know, condescendingly. <laughs> so there's gonna be some targets that are gonna come up, ma'am, and you're gonna have to try to knock them down. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you have no clue who you're messing with. And so of course, you know, and that, like I said, they're ready for the show. They're like, okay, she's a female and a JAG officer. Surely she cannot shoot. And um, they start popping up and I'm laying them down as fast as they pop up. And when we finish, the range master comes and gets my whip and he goes, are you a ringer, ma'am? I said, never assume, Sergeant, never assume. And so I, I turn around to leave 
And they're all standing there with their mouths open. And they're like, and this one Sergeant Major says, ma'am, are you married? And I said, no. He goes, yeah, I was going to tell them, tell him never piss her off. <laughs> never piss her off. So, you know, that's the whole, it's, it's, it just, it's everywhere and it's everything you do. And it's, you know. Yeah, I barely squeaked by on the rifle range with the pop-up targets. I mean, I passed, but nobody even looked at me twice when I got a low score. You just have to be that much better than you would be. But I do, I'll say this, but I think it made me better because you have to have that mindset. So I could never slack. I could never do anything, you know, halfway. I had to put my full everything into everything I did in the courtroom, in the, you know, on the PT course, you know, on the range, wherever I went. And I will say, um, as a prosecutor, I only lost once, and it almost killed me. All right, we'll be back with more from former Army Captain Cigna Oliver after this message from our sponsors. Support for Here Arizona comes from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust, which seeks to help people in need, especially women, children, and families, to protect animals and nature, to enrich community life in the metropolitan area of Indianapolis and Phoenix, and from listeners like you. Thank you. We're speaking to former Army Captain Cigna Oliver about what it's like to be a woman in the Army. Captain Oliver, you were just talking about how, as a woman, you felt like you always had to overperform just to be taken seriously, and how, as a man, I could do just enough to pass without getting any major flack. But you weren't perfect in everything. Was that ever a problem? I think it, it is something. I'm not saying I'm special. I'm just saying there's something about me I don't lose. And if I lose, I am going to come back stronger and harder and stuff like that. Um, even considering, you know, just getting out of the military, but I, I, you know, I felt so defeated that day that I was just like, I can't win in a system where I win and I still lose. I, I can't win in that system, but, um, there are some that, um, I, I'll, I'll say this. I had a um, young soldier that had been in the military a couple of years and um, she wasn't driven like me, um, but I just, I gravitated to her and kind of took her under my wings and kind of coached her up. Um, she was one of the, you know, she's like a specialist assigned to one of the units, um, but in the JAG Corps, but she's a specialist. It's like a paralegal or something. And um, she was literally going to get put out of the military if she didn't pass the PT test. And I, in my 30s, she was like 19, and I, in my 30s, could run, walk faster than she ran. And so what I told her is, we're not going to, you're not getting put out of the military. Do you want to stay in the military? She said, yes. I said, then what you're going to do is we're going we're gonna, to um, do the run, because she had one more time before they cycled her out, you know, and she's just defeated. Well, she's also a smoker. And it's like, that's not helping your lung capacity, because two miles is two miles you know, and you're, you're hacking and coughing around the two mile course. So you worked with her to help her improve her scores. But, um, I went out with her for a few weeks before the PT test. And, um, I told her, I said, I'm going to set the pace, never leave my side. I'm not going to run as fast as I run. I'm going to run at a pace that you can sustain for two miles and you will make it. And she did, you know, and I think that helped her, but I don't think everybody 
you know, is this competitive? I know everybody's not com competitive like me. Um, and some people will, you know, give up when they should fight just a little harder sometimes, especially women. Um, but it just, I think it just depends on what you do. But I've also seen women play the woman in the military too. And that pisses me off too. <laughs> it's like, cut it out, you know? Um, okay, so what do you mean when you say playing the woman? I had, when I was enlisted, we had a young lady that, and I know it's not supposed to occur, but she was dating our company commander. We knew it. Everybody knew it. And she would like throw her, she was the least, she did the least amount of anything that she could ever do. And that drove us crazy. And I probably should have been court-martialed, but I was enlisted at the time and they liked me because, you know, I was crazy. Um, <laughs> but um, she woke me up on my birthday an hour earlier because I was supposed to take guard duty from her. And, you know, she thought she was just everything because she was dating our commander. And um, she woke me up early. She shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> I, what I will say is the barracks um, cleared out to the hallway because I was kind of dragging her by the top of her head down back to the guard duty station so that I could go back to sleep, you know. And when they finally got my hand out of her hair, <laughs> um to do that and then uh, you know our our um platoon sergeant had a little talk with me I was like you know you can't drag people by the top of their heads back to I said well what you will do is you will make it very clear to her that we know that she is dating the company commander and to some of us it means nothing you know and she better not do that again so so it's it you get all all ends of the spectrum, you know. I saw several people, even people that you know I was friends with, you know, play the woman card a lot and do the bare minimum, and you know, different strokes for different folks. See, when I was in a junior enlisted person dating a commander, it would be serious trouble for the commander. There's such a power differential there. Uh, what sort of advice would you have for a woman who wants to serve in the military now? I do think. What I think is the military is not for everybody. Um, but if you want to become a leader, um, the military is a great place for women, definitely, to develop those skills. It, it did. I mean, I was going to be who I was going to be anyway, but I think that my the two times I raised my hand and signed that blank check for the country, I think it enhanced who I am as a person, you know, because I have, I still have somewhat my military decorum um, in a lot of things. And I catch myself and other people, I can see whenever people's eyes are like this, I'm like, oh, oh my God, Captain Oliver showed up, didn't she? Uh <laughs> yeah, it can be really hard to shake that mentality once you get out. It, 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 it is a, it is very beneficial but you have to have the right headspace. I had a friend of mine that went into the military, and this is why while I was in the military, um, she went in, enlisted after she got her master's degree. We're in her 30s, like our mid-30s, 
and she's going into the military enlisted with a master's degree. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Well, I got a phone call from my roommate um, from college. We were all friends. And she's like, um, this person is at this military installation. She went in, I was like, why would she do that? And she goes, and I heard something about confinement and court martial. And I'm like, what? And so I had to, you know, pull rank and call their JAG office. And I was like, so this is Captain Oliver at Fort Benning. I hear you have this person, you know, because they were giving her an order. And she's like, yeah, I ain't doing that. And I was like, no, 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 no. You can't do that in the military. And that's why I'm saying everybody's not made for the military. It's, Absolutely. you know, it's a, a mindset. Captain Oliver, the last thing I want to ask, I know you have a daughter. Would you let her join the military today? So, no, I would not. I, I wouldn't. Could she go in the military and could she be successful? Absolutely. She could. I just don't think she should She should have ever been in the military, nor my son. I, I just didn't think that that was a path that they should take, either one of them, because I did see it changing. And some of the changes seemed to be better, but a lot of them were not because you know, the military is not civilian world. It's just not. And people that think that when I listen to congressional hearings and stuff and, oh, society does this and the military should do it too. And you're like, yeah, no, that's not going to be a thing. You have to get people to do things because you said so, you know, and this society is not that. I still struggle with that. And I've been out since 98. All right, Captain Oliver, thank you for your time and thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. All right, take Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was former Army Captain Cigna Oliver, and this is Here, Arizona. Almost four in 10 veterans leave the service with a disability, but most of those disabilities are invisible. We'll speak with veterans with disabilities on the challenges they face getting their disabilities recognized and the organizations that work to help them on the next episode of Becoming a Veteran. Here, Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds of Arizona, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust and support from listeners like you. Thank you. This episode was produced, written, directed, and hosted by Scott Bork. Linda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks for listening.